Hello my friends, welcome back to my channel. I've talked a lot about the topic of magic in general, a lot on this channel. It is called the Wizard Factory after all. But this will be the first time really doing an actual deep dive into this topic and really getting into the fundamentals of what it is and how you can actually begin to practice. And I can think of no one better to get into this amazing topic with than my friend Thomas Sheridan, who is a brilliant mind and incredibly well-versed, not only intellectually, but in practice himself. So I'm super excited about this one. I really hope you all enjoy it. Let's get into it. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Wizard Factory podcast where together we explore the universe through ourselves. Today is a very special episode. I'm joined again by my good friend Thomas Sheridan. We've had him before on the show and uh, we're going to be getting into the topic of magic. For those unfamiliar, Thomas is a occult researcher, a historian, content creator, musician, and pagan so thomas welcome to the show it's an honor to have you back sir yeah thanks logan great talking to you and uh, i'm delighted to be here absolutely so last time was a bit of a general discussion uh we got into a good many things if if anyone has uh, not watched that episode i do recommend going back and i'll put that link in the description but uh i'd like to start off by just letting you thomas uh kind of introduce yourself well i I'm from Ireland and uh, I've traveled extensively, worked extensively. I've had a kind of an interesting life. Uh, I left home quite young and basically traveled the world with a guitar. Ended up in New York for a long time. Ended up going to, back to school there, back my, continuing my education there uh, in corporate communications and graphic design. And I've you know worked in, court, in the corporate field for a while when I needed to make some money, got out of it was involved in, in music and kind of underground scene in Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, came back to Ireland, kind of continued a similar thing for a while and then dropped out of kind of society completely. And then I wrote a book called Puzzling People in 2010, which surprisingly gave me a life. It sold quite well. And uh, I've been kind of able to get by enough since then to actually devote my life to what I want to do rather than be stuck in the matrix. So I've been fortunate in that sense, you know, I'm not rich or anything, but I've like, I've actually, my, my objectives I've achieved, put it that way. And, um, modestly. Fantastic. Yeah. I've been following your work for quite some time. Uh, I love the diversity of the topics that you get into, whatever it is, you go deep and you, you know, you know your stuff, you know, you're very well read and everything like that. Uh, and so, but today we're going to be specifically getting into the concept of magic, you know, a holistic deep dive into this topic, which uh, it's long overdue on this channel. And uh, I'm very excited. So I think a good place to start as we typically do is with definitions. So, you know, the viewers are uh, have heard my my take on this but i would love to hear how would you define magic magic is the ability to hack the operating software of this universe uh, 
in order to create change based on one's will. It is a surprisingly powerful experience. It's reality, but it can begin with something as simple as artwork. It can be something rooted in everything from the from the art of writing to the art of speech to the visual arts, but it's, it provides a means to make reality optional. And uh, you can modify your engagement with the five sense reality. That's how I would put it. That's fantastic. I love that. Um, that there's actually, that brings up quite a few different things and ways we could get into. Um, what stood out to me first was you, you mentioned it could be art, it could be writing. Um, it, it, it's, I'd say it's something that really taps into the creativity of the individual as with the principle of mentalism, everything has to start in the mind and a be aligned then with the will of that person. And then whatever that medium is, ends up being kind of the, the way of, of executing. So like, even if you're just going to make a list of things you want to do in the day, it starts with your intention and what you want to do. And then just the simple act of writing that down, that's the first step of materializing that in the physical world. Absolutely. I mean, this could be anything from say a designer designing a piece of furniture or a machine or something that only exists in his consciousness. It does not exist anywhere else. It's purely a phantasm within their, you know, cognitive processing. And by means of the actual, you know, it is an art and it is a science that's hmm. somewhere better at that than others because it's an art, but it's a science because it requires a process. And the process is the artist there, the designer taking up a pen and paper, you know, making an outline sketch and perhaps developing it further in a in a CAD program next thing you know he's working with people or using his own tools and this thing that only existed in his in a vision in his mind is now fully materialized in the universe that's about as as potent a description of magic as you you'll ever get that's basically magic 101 to take something that didn't exist on this material plane now people you know you know, it goes from everything else, the conjurations, the spells, hexes, whatever you want to call them. But ultimately, that's what it is. The, the removal of something from consciousness from the cognitive uh, aspects of one's personality, mind, intellect, and to, to bring it to life in the material world. Right. Yeah. And as you said, um, it's an art and a science. So I would, I would imagine that those who have are gifted in both worlds will probably be the best at it because it's kind of like look at coming at it from the left brain or the right brain and maybe some people are a little bit more like nuts and bolts kind of scientific approach to it and others are just purely from the creative but i would imagine if you can really tap into both and combine that into your craft that would produce the most uh, powerful results oh absolutely i mean you so many scientists from maybe not so de much these days, <laughs> but engineers and stuff would definitely tell you that they're, they're they you know I, I've met them. That's you know very like people work in the high levels of engineering and things like that, and they would say that they constantly had these 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 things they could thought were impossibilities, and yet by a process of concentration, and the desire to make it happen. This is the important part. Desire is the real, uh, you know 
transfer system of producing a stream of psychic energy. Um, you, it's the whole thing that if you really want something, but you take the actual steps towards it, you will find and, and your your desire and your will is rooted in a genuine sense of bringing this into reality the universe will push it 10 steps towards you it's it's remarkable but you don't even have to call it magic you could call it like you know intention or whatever manifesting but it does it absolutely does and the, the key feature is the sense of i would i don't know what, what would you call it honorable desire would you call it it's 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 a, a desire born out of genuine uh longing i put it that way and that's the most powerful form of creating the stream of energy if you have a pure heart towards this intention you will find it much more attainable hmm. okay yeah that's very interesting um again definitely got my mind going here but um and, and we'll get into yeah. the uh, the ethical aspect of this in in just a moment but um i guess it's like you're saying that if if a person is more in alignment with the higher will, not the egoic or selfish will, but like the higher force of creation, and you're kind of like acting through your purpose, your orlog, that that's going to have yeah. a, a better effect for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm very influenced by Hinduism and this concept of actual following your dharma. Right. And... No, you could say it's the higher self, but sometimes it is based in the ego. Or suppose you want to, you want your band to be successful, or you want to be an actor, you want to be successful in sport or something. Well, there's, you know, there is an element of egotism there, you know, but you can see it in like incredible sports people like Muhammad Ali. That there's an that that ego was a, an essential part of the manifestation of his desire. Mm. So you know. It, it, it again it's the it's purity of thought like if you want to be successful at something just for money and chicks and to look down on people and say screw you i look at me it won't happen it just won't happen not you know if you do become famous it won't be true your will your 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 will it was you just got lucky but if you say like i i really want to be successful because i really believe in my music or I really believe in my, I, I really believe I have something to help people here with this kind of thing. Now that, that changes everything because that clears a lot of the uh, inhibitors out of the way. And you suddenly find there's a direct line, the, the, the stream of psychic energy works much better because when you really think about it, if you're doing it out of insecurity, you're really doing it out of fear. But if you're doing it out of love, and I hate to, to say it in that way, but it's like, it is true what Crowley said, mm. love is the law. I mean, if, if, if you do it out of love, I don't just necessarily mean romantic love. I mean, like in terms of following your dharma, that's probably a better way to put it. You will find that the results will manifest much more effectively. The attainment is much, the possibility of attainment is remarkably enhanced. Right, so uh, it's not that the two have to be mutually exclusive as far as far as the ego and the the dharma. There, it's really more of a blend of it. But you're saying it's about like the uh, the purity of your intention and where that is coming from. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a, a very powerful factor in it. You know, this is why it tends to um, 
you can talk in terms of ethics, but if it's, if, you, if it's solely motivated for your selfishness alone, it's, if you are driven by selfish needs, if you're driven by a need to impose yourself upon a situation, you're really diving into the world of black magic here. The, you know, you're messing with someone else's will. That's not a good thing. It, it often has very good success in the early stages, but then falls apart. If you're, if you're approaching in terms of your dharma, you will definitely have much more success in terms of uh, attaining what your desire is through your will. Right. Like you said, you use the word purity. It's, it, that's really what, I guess that's a good word, but uh, I, I'd say that there's something about when you're in, in your dharma and, and you apply focus to that, that you don't even have a kind of a sense of desire. It just kind of happens. It's very strange. It's almost like you're you're somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the will is kind of moving through you in a way. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to put it. I'd agree with that. Yeah, this is a it's a great um, kind of introduction to the foundation. I think there, and uh, I would love to get into kind of what got you on your journey in terms of uh, practicing, learning about this. Was this something that kind of started? at an intellectual level through like reading books and things, and then you started to, to try it out or kind of the other way around? Well, I was a very, I was a kind of a strange kid. I was very intellectual at a very young age, even though I didn't come from that kind of background. I grew up in a kind of a, a tough inner city area, but something happened. I was kind of like very interested in reading from a, I could read from a very early age. Uh, before I even started kindergarten, I basically could, could, uh, had a good sense of being able to read and write. And um, it just happened by mistake. I just don't know. So I was reading quite like heavy books at a very young age. I'm talking about like eight, nine, ten. That, and a lot of a lot, what I used to love was Dennis Wheatley's novels on magic and witchcraft and black magic. They were they're they were books of uh, you know they're 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 fictional stories, but the way he, he the way he wrote. It's just so tantalizing to me. It sounded like even at a young age, and that he knew what in this stuff was real. He wasn't just talking about, you know, what's the word? You know, fiction. There was some reality to it. Because so, I stumbled upon a book when I was about ten or eleven by a British author called David Conway, called Magic a Primer, and. It was at the same time, too, I was developing a, a strong interest in astronomy. And for some reason, it seemed to sit well with my mind at the time. So anyway, I was about 11, I think. And I was being very badly bullied in school by this kid. And so I basically hexed him. And uh, following, you know, what I'd learned about magic through some books by that point. Next day, he didn't come back to school. And he had had basically what I was told. He broke both his legs, wow. and I didn't have to deal with him ever again. And but it frightened me. It wasn't a pleasant experience. I was very frightened by the experience uh, because it was. I was too young. You know, I, I felt like I'd done something wicked, and I felt like I'd done something bad. Even though he was a little <laughs> shit and deserved it, probably and worse. 
you know, he'd have broken my legs if he could if he could have done it. But I just felt frightened by it. And I felt like I was dealing with dark forces. And I would, you know, I wasn't raised in a religious family or anything like that. But I, I just was instinctually saying, oh, I've done some, you know, it's almost like I was, I, 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 I was only, you know, I was a kid who shoplifted something from a store and was waiting for the police to knock at the door. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I was, wasn't meant to be like a shoplifter. I wasn't meant to be doing magic. That's how I felt, you know. And uh, so I never did anything on it for years and years and years. And uh, until I was in my late teens and I discovered the chaos magic scene in England. And this was about, you know, this was, this really blew my mind. The fact that magic had gone from David Conway's book I read as a kid, which was very, you know, a sort of a genteel country Englishman's view of like sorcery to this thing that was rooted in punk rock and science fiction and, uh, you know, all kinds of other things. Now I'd had supernatural and magical experiences in the period in between, but I didn't actively seek them out. They happened by accident, some incredible things. And I was also developing my interest in paganism and going around Ireland, looking at ancient sites and that kind of thing. So, but so that was keeping me happy in a kind. Of, I had this strong sense of supernaturalism in me, but not towards magic until I discovered about. I heard about the chaos magic scene through a fanzine that had come across, and suddenly this concept of that magic was just like could be just like music. You could have a punk rock version of magic, and that was chaos. And it was rooted in things like everything from you know the emerging world of gaming back then to you know music to films to literature everything could be used to invoke reality so you know like i remember i came across a very early essay essay i don't know who it was about but they showed this guy basically it showed that like a lot of what love hp lovecraft had written had come true so he was either a magician or and the guy said he wasn't but he said that his intensity of writing was so so powerful that he had, you know, he actually saw, he actually created things and they happened in reality. And I also heard this about a book later by an American researcher called John Keel. And he wrote the Mothman Prophecies. And he spoke about, you know, a literary people involved in literary things where they actually created like shadow people of literary characters that existed in the building that he was in. And they lasted for years later just by the sheer intensity of his writing. So that set me off on a whole other place that was that's continues to me to this day, that I don't really like ceremonial magic, and I don't I think there's a strong Abrahamic element to ceremonial magic. Now, if people are into it, that's their own business. I don't care. I mean, I've actually, you know, I've I, I've known people in the Golden Dawn here. In the Golden Dawn in Dublin, where I grew up, was a very big magical order, uh, very powerful, and right in like to the top of government and everything. It's not it wasn't hidden or anything. Uh, but I didn't like the ceremonial nature of it. I didn't like that it, this Victorian parlor room games. I felt they were playing this heavy, heavy emphasis on on you know uh, theory. It didn't interest me, and uh, so that's I say if I was anything, I'm probably a, a you know a chaos pagan. That's probably the way I'd put it. That that chaos magic probably gave me a kind of a lexicon or a key to what maybe the magic of our pagan ancestors was. It was less ceremonial because it was pre-Abrahamic, but it was more kind of theatrical and active, mm. if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, at least just uh, on the surface. I'm curious, how would you define what makes chaos magic that? And, and how does that distinguish itself from uh, the, the ceremonial aspect that you're talking about? Well, my own theory on chaos magic and modern forms of magic is simply because there's more energy available today than there was in Victorian times. So for instance, like everything has a potential, everything from that TV behind you to the bookshelf with the books on it, to you might have everything. You, know, you, you look at the room that you're in now, right? Now you compare that to how someone lived in Victorian times where they might've had candlelight, maybe gaslight, dimly lit, you know, as for instance, you know, so the, the need to generate energy was much mm. more difficult. So it was built up through ceremonial magic. So built up through the concept of ritual, you know, so you'd have these complex golden dawn or, you know, OTO type rituals that coming out of Germany, which were complex ceremonial, ritualistic and theatrical involving all the costumes and everything because they were trying to attain energy. Well, now energy is everywhere. You can go to a, a you know, you can go see a band in a stadium with 20,000 people. The site, the charge is ferocious. You can do things that I used to do, like go on a, on a, on a roller coaster or some kind of like terrifying fairground and hold the sigil in front of me. And as the thing was going over the top and everyone was screaming, you know, you can actually concentrate all that psychic energy into the sigil. You can go on, you can take an airplane, go, like I'll give you an example, right? I, I learned how to use airplanes as magic wands. I know that sounds weird, but when an aircraft is taken off, it's filled with tremendous amounts of psychic energy, not only from the power of the plane taking off and everything else, but also the wishes and desires and the the feelings of the people on board. It creates a phenomenal sense of power. And there's always a risk of death. There's always that unprevailing risk that this plane is going to go down. Well, that's actually, you can actually, you, you can actually concentrate that energy into a sigil as the plane is taken off or something similar. Similar. Now, so that's, you've got the, all, you've got all that energy that wasn't available in Victorian times. So, and also because of the genteel nature of say Victorian times, it wouldn't have had the ceremonial intensity of our pagan ancestors who would have lit bonfires and screamed and shout and painted their faces and banged drums and created the energy mm -hmm. this way if you're like living it you know if you're a victorian gentleman in boston or london or you know berlin or whatever you don't have that it's not part of your culture so the ceremonial nature is that so basically chaos became a means to tap into the super and hyper abundance of energy that we've had since say world war ii and tap into that and that's why I, you know the ability to capitalize and tap on this enormous amounts of energy that we have and to just without having to actually do all the work to get it it's there you can pick it like fruit from a tree that's so interesting and uh, it seems like you're talking about essentially the psychic energy is the most powerful to tap into so it seems like what you're saying is that the best source of energy is psychic energy and specifically almost like emotional energy. Um, is there, so would you say that you can do magic without it, but that's like the best way or the most potent way to do that? Well, I don't actually know how it functions. Like there has to be an interface force between your desire and the outcome. 
your will and the outcome. Now, that interface force is, you know, it, it is obviously rooted in the mysteries of the universe. And in my book, Sorcery, The Invocation of Strangers, I I theorized it was probably dark matter energy, what they call dark matter energy, or so, there's some form of energy that hasn't been hasn't been derived yet. So you have the, on one side here, you have the will and it's pushing, right? And it's creating a shunting effect. And on the other end, it's affecting the outcome. So this, this shunting effect has an unseen force between desire and manifestation. And th that, that unseen force, I theorized, you know, considering what we know about physics at the moment, and in quantum physics and so on, it's possibly be what they call dark matter energy, that mysterious force that holds like, you know, 90% of the universe together, but they can't actually find it. So that buffering force, that not the buffering force, that shunting force, it's the ability to actually move that is what happens. So if you can have all the will, all the desire, all the intention, you know, and fired up in your brain, but it it you have to, this is the art the artistic part of it you have to effectively use it attenuate your nervous system see the nervous system is the key element of your physiology and all this this is why you can do magic if you're disabled if you're regardless of your age if you have if your nervous system is primed towards this you will find that it becomes much more effective in creating that stream of psychic energy towards manifesting your intention. The nervous system is actually a very under, you know, I think like Parsons, Jack Parsons was one of the first people to actually, you know, just talk about the, 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 the key strategic element of the nervous system in, in, in the outcome of magic. And he's absolutely right. I mean, in recent times, you hear this being brought into things like sex magic and stuff like that. But that's only a, an easy way of doing it. There's a, the, the actual nervous system. And when I say attenuating, it's blocking out all extraneous or interfering frequencies down to a state of pure focus. Now, when you have that state of pure focus, you've literally got the ability to really move that shunting thing. Now, you can... Build up that psychic state, whatever way it suits you. Fine, you can build it up through. I, you know, the like the in the ancient times they would talk about warriors building themselves up in, in pagan times, like in, in in Celtic mythology, the warriors building themselves up into an enormous state of battle rage. Now that battle rage was actually the the, the symbolism was like the, the goddess the Morrigan, but it was that transfer. They had a, they had they had. The sigil was the concentration on the Morrigan, and that battle rage was very similar to what the berserkers would have used hmm. in the. In fact, there's a, in a phenomenal record of a battle between the Irish and the Vikings in the mid the late Middle Ages, and the the monk that wrote the thing down spoke about the Morrigan uh, on one side and the Valkyries in the sky fighting while the battle on the battlefield went below. Now it's an allegory; they didn't actually appear in the sky. But there was the, the there's this 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 sort of like visual sigilization of the focus was the, the battle rage. Now that that's it. They had a pure stream of energy. They would concentrate on the Morrigan to block out everything in their in their world and then go into battle. So that that's the same thing. You can 
you, you must find a way to attenuate your nervous system down to the absolute focus. And there's lots, there's lots of ways of doing it, but it, the, the, the thing is to block out anything else, to block out anything else, very difficult to do. Mm. And so you have a one direct focus on that thing. But by God, when you get it done, it's intent. Now, I'll give you an example of how it happened to me, actually met me as a kid. I, like most kids, read books on the read books and listened to radios on the the um, the covers that night with a flashlight, and I, I, you know, we've all done it. And I was, I was, I don't know how old I was. I wasn't, I wasn't that young. I was probably, I, I just even when I was older, like in my mid teens, I still like reading under the covers. There was something in that concentrative about it, you know. And also, I used to listen to the radio on headphones, you know, old fashioned headphones. This is back in the 80s and late early 80s now, late 70s. So, like, I would have the headphones on here under the covers. Now, I had read a collection of... This is amazing when I think about it. I had read a collection... I was reading a collection of H.P. Lovecraft short stories, and I under the in the dark with a flashlight. And I was actually... Because was, I was trying to create the atmosphere. I liked, the, you know, the theatricality of the kind of whole reading and... You know, when I trauma myself into reading something, I'm absolutely focused completely on it. And uh, and if I'm enjoying it or enthralled by it, it's intense. It's almost orgasmic when I'm reading something that I'm completely captivated by. And so I was in that kind of state. These stories are fantastic, blah, 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 blah. And then I put on the radio and we used to have a bandwidth in Europe called LW, long wave. We had FM medium wave and long and long wave was used to transmit signals across europe so i used to just like lying in bed in the dark tuning in stations from all across europe and you'd hear like you know berlin moscow you know and all the different languages madrid and that kind of thing and then i was between you hear this one i was between stations and suddenly i hear an american accent going rhode island's number one buick dealer uh Root blah 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 Providence. Now I didn't know what a Buick was, and I didn't know where Rhode Island was, until I found, realized a few minutes later that that's where Lovecraft was from, and somehow my psychic energy had either traveled across the Atlantic using that radio, and that's also what got me very interested in electronics and magic, across the Atlantic, and met that signal somewhere out up outside the Outer Banks, past there, Cape Cod. But it got into my little tra Philips transistor radio, and that was a classic example of that shunting effect. And and then years later, in two thousand and nineteen, I went to Necronomicon. I just you know it, it, you know it was just weird, you know, and uh, you know, and I didn't even know what a Buick was, you know, I didn't even know. And um, what the hell is a Buick? What is that? What is he selling? You know, I didn't realize it was a car. But, you know, that that was absolutely a phenomenal moment in my teens of like, well, this 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 reality is a whole different thing altogether. Yeah, it seems like you shouldn't have even been able to pick up a signal from where you were like that doesn't no, seem no, logistically no. possible. No, because they can't get around the curvature of the earth. So they basically get up. They would have left profit. But like how many hundreds of stations are on the East Coast of the United States? And I had to be one in Rhode Island while I was reading from Providence the night I was reading a book by H.P. Lovecraft. So that yeah. was just astounding in itself, you know? Yeah, that's a trip.
And it, it sounds like it's there's almost like this meditative quality to what you're describing, because that's the similar practice when, when you're talking about meditation is like kind of blocking everything out and just focusing on one thing, say like your breath or something and pouring all of your focus into that one thing. So maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of works the other way in terms of like, there's a meditative aspect to magic, like you're incorporating that same kind of practice into it. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's a load of term meditative. It's kind of like brings you to like, you know, kind of hippie-ish meditation. Yeah. Um, med it's, it, the word is a, has, a, has a far, like you said, the meaning that you, the, the, the design of the meaning that you're putting to it is very much more accurate, accurate in that that meditative force could be something looking like a candle flame. That meditative force could be... A sigil. Yeah, or, or even, you know, I know someone who had tremendous uh, success uh, it, it, having water dripping from a, a leak in the ceiling of a of a of a, a, a garage and outbuilding that he had in his house, and he found that the actual he let the water drop into his mouth, and he said within no time he'd enter in this kind of, in this hyper magical state. Now, when you're in this magical state, you're aware of it. It's 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 uh, it's there. It's like it, you it's just transcendental. It, when you get to that state, and reality just becomes bizarre. I mean. I can remember one time walking along a country road that took me like hours to get down the, from a long hike. And then I got back in like a third or a fifth at the time, uh, even though it was the same distance traveled. I, there was no, I had just become so focused on the, the, the tree lined road for miles and miles and miles that it actually, it actually changed me. It actually changed. I've had that on a bicycle. I mean, I've had that, in you know i've had that experience of traveling in that it, it, you know and and then suddenly falling out of this reality and then mm. you realize that you can actually fold the thing down to help you so i mean the, 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 you know i think that happens a lot you know there's this thing that like when you travel somewhere you know someone say you say you go for a walk and they say it seems to take ages to get there but they say and when you're coming back it's much shorter and then yeah. people say, well, that's because you already know the route. No, you don't know the route because you're coming in a different direction. There's something happened in your consciousness when you reach the other end that you achieve the objective of the journey that when you turn around and come back, there's a sort of like you're psychically going downhill. And uh, as a result, the times, the actual time speed, because the clock speed of the brain actually changes. So you, you, it, you it, the experience happens much quicker. Wow. Yes, this is uh, it's very fascinating. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just want to take a quick moment to offer you a special gift. It's the free initiation package download. This is a free download package that includes the Toolbox mini course. I created this package to equip you with all of the essential tools you need for any type of energetic or magical practice for anyone serious about their spiritual development. It's comprised of three parts, the circle, the breath, and the voice, where you'll learn how to cast the circle of the magi, various breathwork techniques, including a powerful guided breathwork meditation, rune galler, and more. You'll also get access to the inner sanctum our private Facebook group and Discord server, as well as some Wizard Factory wallpapers for desktop and mobile, all for free. 
And for those who've already seen this course, I'm happy to announce that this is a brand new remake with better production and even more information. You can find the link to get yours in the description below. So check it out and let's get back to the content. So then what what would you say are the fundamentals of a spell? Like if you kind of look at it agnostic, like from uh, from the medium perspective and just say no matter what medium you're working with what are those fundamental components of a spell clarity of objective that is where most people go completely wrong is that they focus on vague vague ideas of what they want you must have absolute clarity of focus and in fact i think that's a big part of the old ritual magic is that it was to help that clarity of focus towards the objective. So therefore, you know, you know exactly what you want or what you need or what you want to do. And you calculate and calibrate all the possible things that might go wrong. Very important. A lot of people, when their spells or their sigils or their intention or manifest go wrong, it's because they didn't factor in the, the things. Unforeseen variables. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got to make sure you've got to actually concentrate, and that's all. If that's it, you've literally, it's like a battle plan almost, you know. And it, it's really it, you have to spend time really thinking about it and thinking about it. like if it doesn't work, what could be the consequences? Am I interrupting in someone else's destiny? Am I affecting them people indirectly? They don't mean I have to do it, you know. This kind of thing. It's like the whole, you know, the the greatest, the greatest, you know buffer that i ever encountered regarding hexing someone out of revenge is they is that they said that it it's when i'm reading like and i'm still reading i'm still finding in books that it creates hereditary hexes that the kids are gone the kids who did nothing to you will actually can actually hit get that hex. so it might not hit the father or the mother that you're after but it'll go after the kids and it could go down the generations and that was when i first read that i was like i never want to do that the, the the concept of some asshole at work and i want to do something to him you know and then you find that well, he's got a, he's got a three-year-old daughter and i'm okay i'm not going to do it that that you know that that's actually you know it's not so much that's that's kind of like a powerful moral you know um factor in that you, this mm. is why hysterical and unhinged people are destroyed by magic uh because they often he hex people or spell people with revenge and things like this that are often unwarranted or else they publicly announce them everything it almost must be kept secret it doesn't leave here and uh the uh it backfires it goes it becomes like you know it becomes like you know you're throwing a grenade at somebody but you're still standing beside them uh, in a magical grenade and it, it it affects them it can often affect them worse you know and you know i mean <laughs> I've seen it firsthand. I've seen horrific uh, consequences of somebody, you know, hexing their ex-husband or ex-wife, and it immediately, you know, resulting in horrific things. And so, you know, so the the, the thing is, like, you should never. And my bottom line is, I would never hex someone, uh, you know, I, unless it was completely, you know, I'd, I'd be even afraid that her pets getting damaged. You know, that kind of thing. So I, my attitude is, I, I, you know, I developed this concept years ago of no contact ever again. It's just go, just leave. And actually, that that actually became quite a powerful magical, uh, you know, tool because by going no contact ever again, 
it, it again attenuated my focus down. It limited the focus, trimmed the focus down away from that problem. You know, there's a tremendous power in that and walking away from a bad situation. It's so the original you know, block button. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and and real, and the funny thing is, in a, in a funny kind of way, it is a magical process because you're kind of like working on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like as what Crowley said, you know, any magical process that isn't uniquely concerned with the development of the self is black magic. Wow, is there a lot of truth to that? There really is. Mm. So the fundamentals of a spell, yeah, do your groundwork, do your homework, uh, make sure you've considered all the possibilities of what could go right and what go wrong. Do it for honorable and noble and righteous purposes. Don't do it out of revenge. Don't do it out of greed. Don't do it out of the screw someone over. Uh, don't do, do you know, if you, if you, yeah, the bottom line would be is make sure you're worthy of the outcome uh, before you work mm. your attention towards it. Are, and you say, am I worthy of the manifestation and am I able to, what's the word? validate the trajectory and the outcome and then you'll say to yourself you know something if i do get that job maybe i'll be shit at it maybe i won't yeah that's you know, that, that, that's it that to me kind of strikes me as like the difference between magic and prayer because pr- to me prayer is very like that entitled mindset of you know praying for things that you're not worthy of you just want you know selfishly and you're it's praying welfare. for sky daddy to give it to you yeah, well, that's why pagans have sacrifice and, and Christians have. Exactly. Uh, you know, the pagans have much more. Uh, they, we, we, we give up something. It's the law we of Gabo. Yeah, we do not. We, we're not intro, we don't do spiritual welfare. That's why yeah. prayers are never answered. You know, they're not. They're rarely answered. And, you know, and that's why sacrifice is the only thing that works in that right. regard. And that's why the Jesus story doesn't work, because that's exactly that's the ultimate spiritual welfare. Yeah, but even the whole thing of like, uh, you know, you you play by their rules and you end up in space kibbutz at the end. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's that's just a ridiculous concept. Uh, You know, uh, there's there's no there's no sense of your destiny beyond obeying the rules. Mm -hmm. Obedience. There's no growth. yeah. No, and there's also no uh, sense of loyalty to the planet. This is why all this these Abrahamic mindsets are like we're going to destroy this planet, but let's all go to Mars. If we were pagans, we wouldn't do that, you know, because ultimately all pagans, I mean, in the Europeans anyway, and you believe in the concept of reincarnation or recurrence, you know, that you will come back in either in this life over again or you will uh, come back in a different life, but you. This this puts this puts an onus on you to actually protect the here and now because you you you're going to come back to this thing you know, right? You're tethered to the outcome, and exactly. um, you don't see yourself separate from nature. That's another thing is you see the the interconnectedness of things. Yeah, yeah. See, and 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 you you you've got an and you know you've got then you've got a a responsibility for stewardship. Precisely, you know. You don't cut down forests, you plant forests because you're going to need them in the future or you're going to need them in another life or someone else will. For other generations, yeah. Yeah, but if you if you were going up, the, up into the clouds to play a harp. What do you need a planet for? Yeah, exactly. Well, why do you even care about this place, you know? It's gone. <laughs> right. So 
when it comes to the anatomy of a spell, you've got your intentions, your, your clarity, your outcome, you're considering the variables in terms of uh, like planning your strategy and everything. Yeah. And then we've covered kind of the ethics of it, like the, you know, what boundaries to not cross and that, but then when it comes to the actual application and bringing that forth, um, what do you, th- what would you say is like the main components there? Regardless of the the medium, you mean like the actual paraphernalia of the structure of the actual thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if I have any here to show you, but I I create I create magical books. I I create. I don't have one here with me now. I create. Uh, you know the concept of cut ups. Uh, where you take words you write them out on a piece of paper and you chop them all up and then you rearrange them and I've basically do that on a kind of an industrial level I have a video somewhere how to do magic in the modern age and I create like picture books of pictures and images and I I work with the unfoldment as it's coming along See, you know, it's not abracadabra instant result. It's about modifying. I'm not that powerful because I can't, I can't instantaneously change the subatomic nature of the universe mm. in an instant. It's almost like you're putting a signal out, like like a beacon, yeah. and then just kind of like it's just coming out in waves, and over time. Somebody, yeah. you know, the universe starts to pick up on that. Or you, you move onto a piece of land, and the first thing you do is you take all the stones out. You build boundary walls with the stones. Then you you put fertilizer into the land. You till the land. You, you make sure it's 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 ready for the crop, and then you plant the crop. You know, it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like, and then you eventually hope to harvest it. And that's exactly how it is. It's not just like one, two, three, bam, I'm in there. It's a, a nurturing of an intention from from source to manifestation, and I, I mean, I have. I mean, people are always tell them, you know, observation is key to everything. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you how it works. You, you get that. You get real time data and things like synchronicities. Okay, you you will notice that things will happen with an unnatural frequency. You're, you see, what you're doing here is you cannot really get the outcome of your desire until you reach a magical state. And that magical state is nurtured by your observation of the world around you. So you will have the most, you will notice synchronicities. These are very powerful. Like, I don't know, you pro- it happens to me all the fucking time, but it's basically, I've been living in the state now for decades, where if I've set my mind towards something, you know, just to get something done, you know, anything. And I put my mind towards it and I'm, I'm, I'm jotting it down in a book. I'm writing down in a book. And then maybe I take a, say, maybe I take a train somewhere, right? And this train stops at a platform in the middle of the countryside. And there is somebody who looks exactly like or dressed in a certain color or is identical to what I'm actually thinking about at the moment or a poster for a movie or something. And you say, okay, that's interesting, but it might be a coincidence. But then it starts happening in other ways. 
And then you know that what's happening here is the subatomic fabric of the universe is starting to get flexible around you. You're not constrained by the underlying quantum tightness. You're, so the synchronicity is a way of it showing you that you're now you you you're like you've you've taken the clay and you put you've taken the flour you've added water to it and now it's dough it's malleable okay so when you recognize these synchronicities just they start happening and then you you go with them you know some people are actually quite frightened by them. And then you will find that then you will get to what you want, whether it's the right job or, you know, to move to a certain city or to actually move to another country. You will find that these little processes. So out of nowhere, you might someone might come along and say, you don't know. And you'll say, oh, I know somebody who can get that that thing for you that you need to do the thing. And this never existed before. It, it it falls into you. It's almost like you're collapsing the inhibitors around you. And these mm. things are falling into you. It's attraction. And, yes. And, and as you see these synchronicities, now you can go nuts. Some people see synchronicities where they don't exist. You know, they go mad seeing numbers and, they, you know, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. They have to be very specific. and It's almost disturbing how frightening, not how specific they can be. But when you start noticing, you, begin, you develop almost like a kind of a, a psychic sense of security. Oh, this shit is working deep down inside, right? Mm. And then all these inhibitors that block away all this stuff, they start collapsing. And all the, the things you need start coming to you. And that's how it works. Mm. So when you see these synchronicities, do you see them more as just kind of a confirmation yeah. Uh, of this or do yeah. you, is there anything that you do when you see them like you kind of like go into a certain visualization or something well, or... well you get a sense of joy you get this kind of sense of joy and like oh my god fuck me that worked you know <laughs> and, and, and that sense of joy that sense of satisfaction is rooted in something that's very uh, beautiful but it's a confirmation absolutely it's a confirmation and it also gives you encouragement to go on it all it's you know it gives you encouragement that you're on the right path. Now, this is where secrecy is important because if you make this known, you you will probably you could probably develop these egregorial uh, pathological entities that will try and destroy it. You see, it's it's we're going into kind of more mystical, spiritual things, but there is part of the process that if you speak it out into the world or write it and or let others see it. Uh, the the world of entities takes an interest in it and tries to disrupt it, either through affecting a person around you to try and disrupt it. Now, this might be not so much good and evil. It could be actually how the mechanics of the universe worse, how different degrees of energy kind of struggle to survive. It could be kind of like a psychic version of the you know the law of thermodynamics or whatever. But this is why secrecy is so important. You never tell anyone what your intention and desire is when it happens you can and then you can show them your magical journals and say look and do you remember when this happened look and i've done does that mean and then you know and you know uh, in 2008 i was wiped out financially by the the economic collapse in ireland i was like i was back i was on the dole actually i was actually collecting them dole 
And I had all these plans that all the ass was torn out of them. So I started a new journal and it's, I drew, the first thing was I drew a rough map of all the places I wanted to visit. So I drew Ireland and I drew my sigil on it. And then I drew lines from them to every, to this country as well. Within 10 years, I got to every single country. And in many cases, I'd done it for free. Mm. Uh, I'd been asked to speak in conferences and the promoters brought me over that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, that ha- I know that happened because I put my intention into it. Instead of falling into despondency, saying everything has gone to shit, I had started planning for the future. And even if it was just a desire, but that desire alone was enough to make, make the actual reality flexible. And uh, dreams are also another one. Dreams will also help you. Uh, you, you, can, you can have signs and symbols and dreams that can actually, so, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of people keeping dream, dream journals. But yeah, I'm absolutely, it's real. It's real. But it has to begin with a pure intention. It can't be built out of spite or it can't be built out of like uh, show off or anything like that. It was a genuine desire to improve yourself. And I mean, I, you know, I, I visited, I ended up, even these, even obscure countries like India and Sri Lanka, I got to. You know, it's just bizarre, you know, and they were on the map, you know. So, you know, what do you what do you do? You know, it, it was real. It's real. It's amazing. And so it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, just the sheer act of writing something down, right like your intention, what the outcome you want. That's yeah. like the the first step. Um, what are other kind of different mediums that one can go go towards? You know, there's like Obviously, we've talked about ceremonial stuff. There's using wands and there's writing things. And I know you've done lots of very creative stuff with electronics. And there's a lot we could get into there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've experimented a lot with electronics and stuff like that. Uh, I've tried to make, uh, you know, one thing I found, you know, like, you know, there's a funny expression you hear, kitchen witch, kitchen witchery, kitchen witches. You know, mm-hmm. like that's kind of a new agey thing among, you know, a certain element. Well, yeah. I started laughing at that a few, you know, about five or six years ago. Let, 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 let's see if we can do this, you know. So I was doing things like putting sigils in bread and baking them. So, you know, to see if that energetic force, you know. And uh, another one that was very successful was to put books into microwaves and blast them with, I'll put them on the microwave on high and have the microwaves actually charge up the the book of intentions and that boy that one that one worked and wow. and things like that you know i was it was you know it was it was kind of it was it was you know it was but it was basically i was rediscovering folk magic just using modern technology you know you right. know you know so you know you have that even abrahamic religions the preparation of bread and things like that but yeah i mean that was a that was a that was you know so it's the, the ways of doing magic are only limited by your own creativity and imagination. That's where the art part comes in. Absolutely. Like we've Absolutely. You, know, you, you know what the fundamentals are. That's the science. It's like these are the components that yeah. you have to have, but then the way that you combine those ingredients, that's completely up to your imagination. Absolutely. You can't, you know, the one with the microwave, the microwave is the science. The, yeah. the book and the intention is the art. And uh, the two together work. If you don't have a microwave, you don't have a science park. But there's other ways of doing it. I, you know, like you can go to a really t- intense concert and hold the thing in your hand when everyone's going nuts. Mm-hmm. Or when you're going nuts. I've done so, that one. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the mosh pit. That, I've done that when I was younger. That was that was fantastic. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to like, I can remember like uh, I was kind of like in the kind of the the early, the kind of the, the, the early kind of punk rock metal scene. It was called the new wave of British heavy metal. And that was really big when I was about 17, 18. And I used to see them all wearing all these uh, patches of bands around their. Mm-hmm. They'd have like a leather jacket on on top of that, a denim jacket. And they'd have like motorhead patches, you know, uh, Iron Maiden, Saxon. And and they'd be all like going fucking nuts, right? But, and I used to look at those patches and saying, can you imagine the amount of energy that's being put into those bands? And all those bands became superstars. And, you know, and so it made me realize that that was a magical ritual and the sigils were the band's low patches, the fabric patches on the back. Mm. And, you know, that that kind of thing. I can remember this one guy, this nutcase I used to know in Dublin. His name was Judas. He was absolute. He was an interesting. He was a, he was he was a nut job. Right. But I this is I'm no joke. And I'm telling you something. He said one day. He showed me he was covered in tattoos. And he had a big T-S, and I was looking at it on his chest. And I says, is, is, is that your way of telling me you're gay? And he burst out laughing. And he goes, no, it's a band called Twisted Sister. And I says, I never heard of them, right? And he goes, yeah, it's a band called Twisted Sister. They're amazing. And he'd gotten some, a couple of singles from an import shop in Dublin from America when they were nobodies, right? When they were only really starting out, right? In 1985, I saw a picture of him in a magazine where he's standing there with Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister and Dee Snyder has his arm around him. That's magic. There's an Mm. example of magic. You know what I mean? His love for that band in the early days had brought the band to him personally. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, you're only limited by your, your, your creativity. Yeah. And that's where, as I always say, you know, you can uh, intellectualize and kind of mentally masturbate to, to things, but until you actually start experimenting in the, the laboratory of reality, you know, that's where the, the magic literally happens. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise it's just theories. You've got to get out there. I mean, no one became a professional sports player by watching the video watching the tv at home they have to get to pick up the ball and get out there you know right it's, it's that thing it's that thing but if your heart is pure and you've got the talent and you're, just, you're motivated by the right desires and you maintain calmness and attenuate focus down to it next thing you know you're you're playing in the world cup or you're in the super bowl you know hmm. it, it, it happens so thomas uh if people want to dive deeper into their own study and uh, learn more about the kind of philosophy and the practical application of magic. What are some sources that you would recommend, whether it could be books, YouTube channels, you know, whatever is useful. Yeah. There's tons of great stuff out there, books, videos, and all kinds of things. I would say the first stage is the most important one of all is to work on yourself. Mm. You you know it's just like you've got to you've got to work on yourself first. You've got to, you know, work on your your own personality. That's an important one. You've got to become as true to yourself as possible, and by intent, you know, you've got to confront your own shadow. You've got to psychoanalyze yourself. Uh, keep you've got to. No, we're not becoming neurotic now. 
you've got to pay very attention to very close attention to your dreams. That doesn't mean you you know you should keep a dream a dream journal a dream diary, but you should um, very much do that and not be neurotic decoding the dream every single morning. Just writing them down or little draw, drawing little drawings is enough. You don't have to analyze them. Just getting them out of that subconscious world into the material world on paper is a process that's training your consciousness to do that. Your imagination comes out. Your imagination. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft wrote letters to his friends saying, I don't know, even know if the, the stories I write are actually true or just the phantasms of my nocturnal slumbers. You know, it, it's the, the, there's the muse comes involved there. You know, your higher self is working, your subconscious mind. And that helps. And then, you know, and then after a while, you will feel differently. You will feel more comfortable in yourself. Uh, you, you will definitely know when the time is right to do this. And then you learn to create a sigil or, you know, you whatever, however you want to approach it. I, I, th I find personally that communication with nature is very powerful. But also, you can live in a, a very big, large, comp complex city. I used to find, when I lived in New York, the, the kind of, like, the shittiness of 42nd Street was a very powerful form of energy I love to tap into. You know, walking around there at 2 or 3 in the morning when it's just, it was just, like, it might as well, you know, just so many people on the streets and all these characters that, is, that you know, that, that, that the tourists were afraid of, I found fascinating. And I would find myself, being put into a kind of a magical state by doing that and um this kind of thing and then you you know uh, you know when then you're ready to do that and uh, i mean i still think david conway's book is still a great one the magic ritual primer because it's it's kind of dated but it, it it it's it's a very useful primer to get you going i, I like that one the david conway book I think of all the books on magic I've ever read to get someone started. I think that's the best one yet. And still, and still, even though it's like it was from the early seventies, it still it still stands up. Remember, it's like you know people are learning to play guitar these days. It's very easy. When I was growing up, it was very hard. Now you go onto YouTube and there's someone showing you how this is how you play this Led Zeppelin thing or this is how you play this U2 thing. And you say, oh, shit, I didn't have that growing up. But that's robbing you of your own innovation. So if you have someone, if you come across a YouTube channel where someone is actually, oh, this sounds good, it looks good. Copying exactly is not what you should be doing. You, the, remember, it's the art, that's the science. The art part now is to actually add your own twist to it. To bring your own flavor into that mix. So I mean, there's there's everything is there. I think Philip Hines' book on condensed, chaos, I think it's called Condensed Chaos. I found that really, it's a really good one. And so that, that again, it's, I mean, I think a good way to start is to learn how. I mean, things like tarot was great. You know, just even just mulling over a tarot deck and looking at it, even going to an art gallery, and just you just falling into the imagery and. Instead of saying, oh, that's just a nice painting. You know, I can remember I used to go to the Turner, William, William Mallard Turner, the English artist, exhibitions in Dublin. They used to be dead for over a century, but it was like they had its paintings every year. And, and in winter, and in winter, the, the, the city was grey and dull and cold. 
but you could go to the art to the National Gallery for free and in darkness all these paintings of beautiful watercolours were all lit up and I found that almost like psychedelic so I used to come out of that exhibition with this sense of like uh, re a different sense of different sense of reality you know it's, it's 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 you you've got to actually what you discover more about these things is you who you are you know and you, you you'll become painfully aware of your limitations and your shortcomings, but you've got to go into the darkness to confront the Minotaur and slay the Minotaur in order to come out and have the power to be a king. And it's, there's a lot of this kind of work in it. And uh, I mean, I, I can't say this is exactly how you do it because how I've done it is a very, is my own way. And I can't sit to someone and say, oh, well, explore, you know, the ancient megaliths of Ireland and Europe or get involved, you know, take a deep interest in Hindu and go down to the temple like I did and, and you know, whatever, you know, I, I, you you might not have those aspects available to you, but it's it's always like, I think the whole thing is to work towards building a magical state mm -hmm. to the point where you feel differently than you were before. I, I can't explain it. But it's it's ultimately it's ba it's based on your nervous system functioning more effectively with the five sense reality. That's probably how I would put it. That's great. It's almost like magic is almost more of a state of being than a state of doing. Oh, absolutely, it is. I mean, you know, um, that's 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 exactly it. I mean, it, of course, there is work involved in it, mm -hmm. but the, the creativity. I mean, I was I was reading there about Crowley and the rites of Elysium, where he basically invented the modern rock show. I mean, it's you know this you know it's, it's no joke when people say this guy invented everything. Yeah, it's like wherever I go in my work, oh, this bastard again. He appeared him again, you know. But the, you know, performing this this scandalous play, the scandalous uh, ritual in Caxton Hall in London back in you know nineteen or whatever. And uh, the the newspapers the ragging on it, and then but then I were more read into it. What he was doing was in creating the first rock show, you know that the first rock show, and the newspapers going, "This is terrible," you know, like these corrupting our youth, you know, this kind of thing. He was inventing what would be happening fifty years later, you know, and that's why I'm not surprised. Like people like Bowie and uh, Jimmy Page were fascinated by him because he was creating the he created the world that they could exist in. And um, I, you know, that's yeah. It's it's a state of doing. Now it can it, don't go wrong. That's the important thing. I'm working with uh, my friend and colleague Neil Macdonald in England, and we we did a film on Atlantis, and I was very we were both very pleased that that came out. And we're now currently and Crowley, of course, appears in that as well. And now we're doing. You know, he, he he's like he, he's like this jester who pops up everywhere in my <laughs> life, but I and. Uh, and uh, uh, William Butler Yeats is rival in the, in the Golden Dawn. It's grave as so i just down the road from me, you know. It's just it's a weird thing. But uh, uh, and we're, the current project we're working on is on the, the Pendle Witches, which was a, a witchcraft trial that happened in the north of England in the six, early 1600s. And it was at a time of, like, the Puritans. So the same crowd who were in America at Salem and all this stuff, you know, saw witches and devils everywhere following the King James Bible. And we're writing this book and making this film, not to say this is what happened, but we're saying it happened because magic worked. 
And it did work. It actually, what got them into trouble was their magic word. You know, that's what got them into trouble with the, with the authorities. And researching into this, and I've been writing it, and it's coming and then back in that magical state again. You, you can see that, like, literally, officialdom was terrified of the working class and the poor having access to magic because they gave them an unfair advantage in society. They could kill a king if they wanted. They could, and so you had all the royalty at the time getting all this magical protection while denouncing witches and witchcraft like King James. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying the reason why in these Presbyterian countries like this where Lutherism or, you know, Anglican countries where they were like Scotland, England, Germany, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, the reason why they were obsessed with witches is because the, they knew magic worked. And uh, the whole prosecution of the case is all, you know, they're poor people and they're the bottom of society. And they're, they're uh, uh, you know, admittedly, many of them are not very nice people. But, I mean, they basically had their communities terrified of them because their magic worked. Mm. And, you know, and we live in an age where magic doesn't work. You know, it's a joke. But Harry they, Potter they, stuff. Yeah, but they existed in a time when a dimly lit cold world quite different than the one to be, where you were traveling on the lonely road at night. You know, even the educated believed that there were goblins behind the tree lines, you know, that there was, you know, the, the casting the evil eye upon someone, you know, had real repercussions or waking up one morning and a witch mark was on the, the fence post of your property and you were terrified. And this is how they lived. And they lived this way because they knew magic worked. So, you know, we can say, we, you know, we can look at the Puritans and say, oh, you know, this was the thing. Before I started working on this book, I, I had that kind of, I know, you know, you know that song by uh, Kate Bush called Waking the Witch. And there's a voice playing the witch finder and he's going, confess. And you have to cite this concept of a bug-eyed uh, Puritan crazy guy who's like, out to born witches with a crucifix in his hand. In reality, it was nothing like that. They were like, you know, civil servants and bureaucrats. No, let's see. Mm, she's a witch. Mm, let's find out how she's a witch. Could you please put your finger on the body that the person we think you hexed? And if they bleed, you know that will be used against you in court. It's in the rule books. It was all very bureaucratic and cold, but yet they were talking about magic. Why? Because they knew it existed and they knew it was real. Hmm. And it, it seems like it, the further you go back in time where science was not as prolific, you could, you know, it, it, the there's like an inverse correlation of less science and more imagination. Yeah, that it really I, happened. I imagination. I imagination, yeah. And it really happened with the uh, the Protestant Enlightenment. The Protestant Enlightenment uh, should really be, it's an unfair term, it should be really called the Freemasonic Enlightenment, because when you start looking at it, it's, it's, it's Protestant because all these guys were in Freemasonic lodges, and the Catholics were on the Jesuits, and that's really what it's about. But uh, the, okay, let's go take it back to right to the beginning, hunting magic, the cave art. What did it show? It showed the fellas in the tribe hunting a buffalo. So they sat there in the deepest cave with some lights and they, they painted the buffalo and there's us there and we're going to go after them. There might be a guy banging a drum. And guess what? It worked. In fact, we probably exist today in a modern civilization because of magic. In fact, we do. Because mm -hmm. as soon as fire was discovered, what was the first thing they did after they learned how to cook their food and keep warm? Magic. 
Wow. Yeah. That's profound. So magic was an integral part of our evolution and our survival as well. Hey, absolutely. I don't think we'd be here because it's the ultimate creative force. And hunting magic of our Paleolithic ancestors and Neolithic ancestors is the reason why the humans were actually able to take, you know, even since the beginning of uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, the, 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 the proto-human realizes that the, the bone can be used as a weapon mm-hmm. and they defeat the other group of proto-humans. And at the end, he throws the bone up and it turns into a spaceship. I mean, that's, that, that is, you know, Kubrick was showing us all that. That's where the start of getting into space came from. When man first picked that, early man picked that, that made that first tool or weapon. Yes. Uh, you know, it wasn't a bone on the ground. It was something that had potential. Ultimately, right. a wand, a wand in many ways. Yeah. True, true. Yeah, um, I, I've contemplated a lot the significance of tools and what is even a tool. You know, it, really anything can be a tool. And as there's like a tool, what is its intended purpose or how can it be abused? And, you know, like a weapon is a tool, but a, a tool is can be a weapon. And, you know, like there's that interplay there. Tools are absolutely fundamental to understanding like the way we interact with the world because it's the stair step as well of our evolution. And as we continue progressing, uh, if you keep using the old tools and not continuing to advance those things that were propelling you forward, then start to actually hinder you and hold you back by being archaic and, you know, stagnant. Well, what you're describing just then is exactly how to get to the magical state. You're almost have this transcendental philosophy regarding like uh, a screwdriver <laughs> you know, and that's and uh, you will you that's it that this this kind of dialogue inside your con- consciousness regarding the pros and cons of the screwdriver and what does it what what is the extraneous external and prevailing long term aspects of using it in a certain way or not using it in a certain way? You're you're building that magical state inside you because that's. That's where it begins. That's 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 the seed. That's it because you're you're you you've contemplated something beyond, and then you'll find that you see it beyond its potential. You know that kind of thing. Mm. So it's you know that's it. That's exactly it. I mean, I, I was blessed from a very early age that I find everything interesting. I've never been bored in my life. Everything enchants me. I love traveling even if it's to another part of ireland i've never been to it could i was just as joyous as if i was traveling to japan or somewhere and i'm i hope i never lose that because that's been really helpful to me uh it's it's beyond curiosity it's the it's the it's wonderment which is a kind of a magical yeah. phrase anyway so it's you like know, that childlike you never know. Lose it, yeah. yeah and that's what the education system destroys it you know it just absolutely sure. destroys it you know it does and uh, you know, and that's yeah, exactly wonderment. It's it's true, and you know that's again, you can't sit down tomorrow and say I'm going to do this. You have to build yourself up into it, and that's that's a big part of it. This concept of like almost kind of developing a kind of transcendental philosophy inside yourself, because you're ultimately you're working on yourself, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you're carving uh, some kind of image and it's you know it's not something that just happens you you know each little piece that you're cutting away 
is working towards that end. Yeah. And another and powerful you're shaping aspect. it. Exactly. And another powerful one is Saturn and laughter and comedy. Mm. Uh, Crowley actually was the one who, that's what the chaos magic thing was very heavily into that. But we, we had jester craft in the past and stuff like that. It's like but alchemy. Yeah, exactly. Well, Crowley said that the, the biggest hindrance in a magical tradition up until the 20th century was the one missing element was humor and having fun. This is why he loved the, the things like the cinema. He loved the Marx Brothers. In fact, the original design for the Thule card in the, in the top tarot deck was going to be Harpo Marx. And uh, that was his original plan. He want, he, he told uh, Lady Farida Harris, I want the, mm -hmm. I want the I want the fool to be Harpo from the Marx Brothers. Uh, you know, he understood the power of satire. Sure. Extremely powerful. Because satire creates a false reality. And it also creates, and it's another one too, it encourages uh, the understanding of the world in metaphor and allegory. Mm. Powerful stuff. That's it everything becomes, right there. This yeah. is a heavy part of attenuating the nervous system. Because when you can take mm. something and create an allegory or a metaphor of it, you own it. It's yours. You own it. You've actually taken it. And so if you if you if you come up with a unique allegory or metaphor, and humor and satire is fantastic for this meme magic. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, years Perfect. ago on the internet on on Usenet, we still had a civil war going on in Ireland. And they used to get these like guys from different, like the IRA and the UVF and stuff on Usenet, or fellows who supported them. And they were saying, you know, wow, it's heavy political debate. And I used to get in there and take the take the piss out of both of them, this kind of thing, you know. And, jeez, uh, I was good thing they didn't know who I was because some of them, but these guys were eventually laughing at all the things I was saying. And it was just weird that suddenly the tension was broken down and it was less hostile and less angry, you know, this kind of thing, you know, and uh, it changed everything. And, you know, and, and, you know, years later, I met one of them and he emailed me and found me years later. And he said to me, he says, what you did back then was actually pretty powerful. You know, you know, you understand, like you actually took people who were quite angry quite politically motivated and even sectarian in terms of religion and stuff like that. And you stopped them and made them laugh. And you just, and I said, well, yeah, I was kind of hoping to do that, you know, see what happened was I created a third Republican arm that was ruled by teddy bears. And there was like suicide bomber teddy bears and stuff like this. And I used to write these complex stories that were absolutely outrageous, you know, about, you know, honey trapped teddy bears and stuff like that. And I used to take it all. And they had an air force and everything, and they had like tanks, and they were just farcical stories, you know, this kind of thing. And they were holding some IRA guy hostage, and I mean, there's, I'd, I'd love to find them and dig them all up, but they were absolutely fucking hilarious. So I'd be sitting Sounds there, great. pissing myself laughing, like <laughs> because they said this, this, and I, I wrote a constitution, a Republican constitution, and stuff like that for this new republic, and. Uh, I used to do things like, you know, declare war on a TV show that I didn't like, this kind of thing. And people are, are, are banned. And then I would, you know, I, I'd put up a list of ultimatums that they must not record this on their next album or else they will be dealt with severely. And people used to be roaring, laughing. They would tell me reading this stuff. And it was, that was a great thing. It was the chaos magic thing. It was the gesture crap.
was put and you still you see i'm still like that today on the internet you see me on like social media I'm, i've never changed and i never will change because yeah. that's a great pacifier in moments of attention a joke you know, that's why you have that's why you have black humor in the military and stuff like that and you know yeah. those fans in, the, in the heat of battle will start telling funny jokes and stuff like that and that's that's just that's that's a kind of magic thing in itself yeah, I see that as really a very fundamental aspect of paganism, as far as I'm concerned, because and that's where that's why mythology is so powerful, because it taps into building that perspective where everything is allegorical. It, it can, you know, the most simple, mundane things can can be allegorical, and that is kind of like that magical state that that you were talking about when you can start seeing the world that way in that wonderment and um and then with of course with humor that it's like it's kind of poking at the edges of reality and exposing the absurdity of it it all and like you said creating that you're taking control of forces that would otherwise be very powerful and Mm -hmm. they're not owning you the the meme magic thing is remarkable in that sense like you have like some shitlord in detroit or some some 18 year old kid comes up with a meme that like absolutely rips the piss out of a politician in an extremely funny way who ha- who now has the power mm. who now owns who well that 18 year old kid in detroit not the politician with all this power and that's that is this that if that i mean i always point to memes to people to show people like there's an example of chaos magic that works you know, and, and then we had the whole phenomenon, the Keck thing in, in 2016, where it took on a life of its own. And these, like, you know, these, like, misfits on the in- internet were actually basically ruling America for for a short period of time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just so antithetical to the, the power control system that's in place. It, it, it needs to be feared and, no, this is super serious and bad things are going to happen. And it's like somebody just comes up and yanks their pants down and everybody just loses their shit. You know, it totally takes that power away. Yeah, big time. It's so important. It's so important. Uh, this is why the European Union attempted to ban memes using copyright laws. You know, uh, they were the mm-hmm. politicians are immediately were, were hating them and the bureaucrats because, you know, they knew the... It's true that certain people just can't do it. And the reason is, is because they're not relaxed enough yet. There used to be a thing that the left, in the past, the left had all the comedy and had all the best comedians and stuff. My God, has that flipped away around the other <laughs> way now. The left is completely humorless now. Right. And, and that's a magic that they've lost. That's a magical force that they've lost. And they know it too. They know it. This is why they have, you know, I, I you know, I always think it, I used to, I was just thinking Donald Trump used to make those tweets on Twitter just to terrorize people. And I could have mm-hmm. seen him in, in, the, in the Oval Office going, will I send it? Yeah, yeah. But he hits Twitter knowing that there'll be a million neurotics on the other end freaking out when he, and that's all energy coming to him. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a big part of his success was just rallying people that just literally love to see triggered liberals and, and like they loved that he could push their buttons and, and like made them love them, love him even more. And all they had to do was ignore him. So they were bewitched and spellbound by him. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All, they, all they had to do to defeat that was ignore him, ignore him, get on with your life. I can remember like I was coming back to Ireland while he was in the middle of his 
2019, I think it was. I was in Boston, Logan Airport. Ah, there you go, synchronicity. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting there, and there was this girl, woman beside me. She was probably in her early 30s, late 20s. And she was talking to another woman there, and she was obviously well off. This woman had money because she ordered something really expensive from the menu and was knocking back really expensive mixed drinks. And all she could talk about was how oppressed she was by Trump. And I'm like, bitch, you don't even know what oppression is. You've obviously got one. If you're probably in the highest, the top 0.1% of privileged people on this planet. And here you are acting like you're a, uh, you know, a, a, a woman collecting, walking five miles to collect water in, in, in Eritrea or somewhere like that and bring it back in a pot, you know. <laughs> And it just was list. I was just watching, and I was saying, "That's that's all in her mind. Yeah. She's sex. She she is. She should be really enjoying her life with all the privilege and all the opportunities. Yeah, and, and, and it's not Trump that's hexing her. She's hexing herself. Mm, all she has to do absolutely. is ignore. All she has to do is ignore. Him. Right. So uh, to wrap this up here, uh, Thomas. Go ahead and share what what you working on. You know what irons you have in the fire at the moment. Well, I'm working on a, a on a book and a film about the Pendle Witch Trials, which will be the first time the Pendle Witch story has been covered by people who know that magic works. So that that'll be quite unique, you know. And uh, I'm absolutely loving it. I've never written a book in this style before, like a bio, a historical bio. And uh, and then it, I've just been I've just, I've, I'm literally been living in the 16th century in the north of England. I've just fallen into everything. I want to know what kind of foods they ate, how they cooked, what kind of clothes they wore. I just fell over it. And uh, we just finished. We not too long ago we 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 made a film on Atlantis, which I absolutely was very happy with how it came out on a book. And that's so it's a pendle thing at the moment. Um, that's basically it. I want to explore, and this is a dark level, the uh, the egregory, egregorial, demonic, Lovecraftian horror of the last three years and the lockdown and the mm. Rona and everything connected to it. I still believe that that's a an open book that needs a lot needs more work and understanding. But I think that that you know, for you know yourself, I've been talking about this before since early twenty twenty. The human race is placed into a spiritual battle, and I want to fully understand that so we can get out the other side. And uh, I, I, against all my will, I have come to the conclusion that it's a, it's as supernatural as anything. It's there's something happening. So watch that space. I will be doing a, a talk in England soon on it, and I'll also be putting it on my beyond room 313 channel you should check that out that's basically where i have a lot of my i do daily vlogs from the car in my thomas sheridan 2 channel but the sort of like it, from what we're talking about on this show you'll find the videos on br313 and there's stuff on hinduism magic everything on there you know there's a couple of documentaries on magic i've made that are actually on there so that's probably the beyond room 313 channel and uh, I mean, and then the Pendle Witch book and film should be out after Christmas, probably around February or even for. And that's uh, I'm I'm loving learning the craft of filmmaking. I'm really enjoying that, and you know that's been a, a great 
a great uh, joy to me in recent times to actually apply artistic things towards filmmaking and then try and play with the magical elements of that if I can. And so, you know, it's just like I'm just enjoying myself and, you know, watching the world go through the Kali Yuga or the, the, the current Ragnarok and, um, and waiting for the second renaissance. And that's basically where I am now. That sounds awesome. I really can't wait to see uh, some of the things you mentioned that you're working on to come out. And um, before I ask, you know, I'll let you um, kind of plug your, your platforms and whatnot. I, I want to finish by asking what's the impact that you want to leave on the world? What do you want to be remembered as? Someone who, who basically allowed people to find life more tolerable, whether it be avoiding psychopathic individuals in the workplace, whether it be learning to explore themselves creatively, whether they to discover the ancient ruins of the world and what they really tell us about the human story and uh, pissing themselves laughing from something, a joke or some funny story I made up. Uh, if, that, if that happens, I'm happy. That's all. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's basically, if I can, I want, you know, I want, I'd like to be, I'd like to leave a situation where more people are smiling than, you know, but I also want people to go that prick as well. I do want that also, because I don't want to be, you know, I do want both sides of it. Yeah. An endearing prick. Yeah. An endearing prick. I want that too. (laughs) And, uh, so, but I, I don't want uh, like a sainted image or anything like that, you know, I don't know. I guess that's you know. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not bullshit when I say that everything I do has been to make life better for people, and I'm not just saying that as a kind of like I'm a wonderful person, but it, it gives me a tremendous satisfaction as a person when someone says I was in a really bad mood today, and you wrote a funny story on Facebook, and it just like or you made a funny, you did some funny impressions in your videos, and it just like, I just totally turned it around well that's if, if i can continue doing that between now and whenever i come back in the next life oh that'll keep me happy love that answer man so tell the people where they can find you uh well on youtube it's beyond room 313 for the documentaries and films that's kind of my respectable channel mm-hmm. <laughs> for for just ranting and the arsing around and commentaries that's thomas sheridan too like roman numerals on youtube and uh, i've got a substack page so you just go into substack and type thomas sheridan you'll find me and uh and then I, I appear now and again and sometimes vanish from social media i'm kind of like you know a gorilla social media person who jumps in causes chaos and then jumps out yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, you, 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 you know, you, you put the bat signal up, I'll come. Right on. Well, Thomas, it's been a pleasure. I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, do let us know in the comments what you thought, you know, give your, your thoughts and your feedback or any questions you might have. Um, those links for Thomas's pages will be down in the, the description below. Do give this man a follow. He does excellent work. Uh, whether it's entertainment or you know making you think or just ponder the deeper things in life it's all there for you so again uh, thank you so much for watching do like and subscribe the video please and uh, 
uh, we'll see you in the next video. But until next time, be empowered, inspired, and encouraged. Thank you.